Hold up your hand. And repeat after me, this is my Bible. God's holy word. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Grass may wither. The flower may fade. Heaven and earth may pass away. But the word of God will stand forever. I'm standing on the living word of God. Amen? Amen. Good. You may be seated. Open your Bibles, if you will, to the gospel according to Luke, the 15th chapter. Now, the entire 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke is made up of three stories. And these stories, or parables, as we call them, were the preferred uh, teaching method for Jesus. He told stories. Um, uh, we learned, uh, some of us in Sunday school, that parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. They are, they are stories that are relevant and common to the experience of the people who hear them, but they have a deeper meaning uh, there. Uh, he tells these parables as a way of making his teaching palatable and entertaining. Uh, the gospel is not entertainment, but that doesn't mean that learning does not have to be entertaining. And so Jesus told stories. He very well could have told, just simply said, you know, Treat your neighbor good. If you see somebody in trouble and problem, help them, no matter what the situation. But he said there was a man traveling on Jericho Road, and he was fell upon by thieves. He told stories. Uh, he told stories, and these stories have become obviously uh, famous. And uh, so in the Gospel of Luke, in the 15th chapter, there are three parables. There are three famous stories. One is about a shepherd who had 100 sheep, and he lost one, and he left the 99 to search until he found the lost sheep. The second was about a woman who had 10 silver coins, and she lost one and swept the entire house uh, until she found it. And the third was about a father with two sons uh, whose youngest son in a moment of rebellion arrogance and ignorance, uh, left home uh, with his inheritance. Um, and so these stories that, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you're somewhat familiar with them. The, uh, it's become part of the vernacular, the catchphrases that we use. Uh, the shepherd left the 90 and 9 to search for one, that, that lost coin. Everybody here has lost something of value. And, and turned your house upside down. And it depended on the circumstance of your situation. There was a time, you know, depending on your circumstance, you might have let $5 go. But in certain situations, you'll turn everything up trying to find that $5. Depends on what it is. And, uh, and all of us have seen the effect of broken relationships. What happens when relationships break down? 
But I, I want to I want to I want to take a different kind of vantage point uh, to look at these stories. Um, I'm convinced after having read them for years and taught them for years and preached about them for years and hearing them taught and preached that these famous parables and stories are about reclaiming the lost. And, and that's what our theme is for this season. And that is also the topic of this message, reclaiming the lost. Everybody say reclaiming the lost. Yeah, that I believe that these famous parables are about reclaiming the lost. And, and I want to talk about reclaiming the lost inside as opposed to winning the lost outside. That reclaiming the lost inside as opposed to winning the lost outside. We have traditionally understood that these stories are about reaching the unsaved. Uh, almost anybody who has preached anything in Luke 15, it's about evangelism. It's about going out. It's about reaching the lost. But that's not really what it's about. Uh, in reality, these stories are focusing on those that are lost inside the community of faith. I said we've often focused on about going outside, but the greatest evangelistic challenge is reaching the saved lost. that we focus so much on the unsaved loss. In my experience, in, in the culture that we live in, uh, particularly African-American culture, which has been permeated for years by the church, rarely do you run into someone to witness to them about the gospel and they know absolutely nothing about it. Let, let me try one more time. In my experience, rarely do you run into someone who is a total blank slate when it comes to church, religion, spiritual things. They, they have been exposed. They have opinions. They have attitudes. And many of them have made commitments. They've made confessions for Jesus Christ. And they have found themselves far away from the things of God. I describe them as the saved lost. And, and, and what we're going to have to do is recalibrate and, and really develop a gospel to the saved. You know, people who, people who have been born again, but for whatever reasons, find themselves lost in the community of faith. And, uh, and, and evangelism, evangelism, I believe today, has to have two Two prongs, two directions. Yes, we do go outside. There are people out there. I'm not saying that there aren't any who have never accepted Christ, who've never made a decision. Particularly, uh, there are several generations that we are facing who have never been exposed to the church because their parents fell away. Their parents fell away. Now, it's not, it's not our generation's parents, uh, but there are young people today who've never, their only exposure to church has been at funerals or weddings or you know, special events that, that going to church has not been part of their world. Uh, but in my generation, and I'm, I'm a boomer, and probably somewhat the generation behind us, there's been great exposure. And a lot of those people find themselves lost even in the community of faith. Now, if, if, if reclaiming the lost is our goal, we have to understand the barriers that exist to reclamation. There are some barriers that exist. 
One of the major barriers to reclaiming the loss has been people who've been exposed to bad teaching. We, we got a lot of folk who've been messed up as Christians by bad teaching. That they have been taught ignorance that has been perpetuated and when they find themselves in faith challenging circumstances they have nothing to use because they have been so poorly taught they've been taught they've been poorly taught about worship and that's why it's increasingly difficult to develop worship for people who don't want worship or don't understand worship or don't feel the need for worship they've been poorly taught about church attendance so they don't see the necessity of doing that. What we have focused on is get saved so you can go to heaven. And so we've created a whole bunch of people that are heaven bound, but no earthly good. You know, God can't get a whole lot of use out of it. We've taught them poorly on the area of giving. I, I, I need at least one amen. That, that if you want to hear one of the major criticisms that the saved loss talk about is the fact that the church is all about money and all they want is your money and you know so preachers can ride in jet planes and 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 Mercedes Benzes and you know they can live in luxury homes and so forth because they've been taught poorly about giving because if anybody ever teaches you correctly you know that giving is in your benefit give and it shall be given to you the book says to you good measure pressed down shaking together and running over so bad teaching is one of the barriers to reclaiming people uh, some of you all have not had dialogues with a lot of folk but I have who are the saved loss uh, they raise up the most ignorant and uninformed opinions about the things of God uh, the, the, the second barrier the second barrier the second barrier to reclamation is offenses. We got a whole bunch of folk offense. But I get tired of hearing folk talk about church hurt. Church ain't done nothing to you. The church hurt me. Church hadn't hurt you. And we need to quit letting people get away with that. When people say that foolishness to me, the church hurt you. No, the church didn't hurt you. Somebody in the church may have hurt you. But the church did not hurt you. You've been hurt on your job. You didn't quit. People insult you at CVS. You go to Walgreens. Somebody ought to work with me. They make you mad at Kroger. You go to Randall's. But this is the only place where you get hurt in this church and you quit the church. Now, nobody heard what I said. No, no, no. You might get hurt in this church, but that don't mean you ought to quit the church. Because it would make me think that you weren't interested in the church to begin with. Because there's one that you can find where maybe you might not get hurt. You know, I'm not satisfied with my doctor. I find another one. Dentists don't know how much stuff to give me to keep me from hurting me. I find one that won't hurt me. But I'm going to still go to the dentist. I'm going to still go to the doctor. If you're a Christian, you need the church. And I'm sick and tired of us letting people make excuses. They are, these are the excuses of the saved lost. Church folk are hypocrites. Hypocrites in the club. 
Church folk are liars. Liars on your job. I mean, I mean, we have this everywhere. The sin nature doesn't disappear when people walk in those doors. Everybody in this room is at some level of sanctification. Everybody in here is struggling over some issue that they have to deal with. The church is a hospital. Everybody in here is sick. Everybody in here got something wrong with them. And if you're coming to church expecting heaven, you already confused. It's heaven where the weary have ceased from struggling. The wicked have ceased from struggling and the weary shall be at rest. I want to say it right. Where the wicked have ceased from struggling. That means if you're not in heaven, the wicked are still struggling. And the weary need some rest. And I think a lot of people, because of bad teaching, come, they get saved, they go to church, and they expect heaven. This is not heaven. This is the church. It's some messy folk in here. some gossiping folk in here. It's some lying folk in here. It's some backstabbers in here. Help me, somebody. The church is some thoughts. It's some, come on, it's some everything in the church. And if you're expecting, if you're expecting, if you're expecting to have everybody in the church to be a paragon of perfection, yeah, it's going to be some people you don't like. It's going to be some people that don't like you. It's going to be some people that's going to rub up against you wrong. You're going to rub up against some folk. Grow up and get over it. I'm tired of hearing that. I get tired of hearing that. I mean, you know, Facebook is full of frustrated, save lost folk who've been so hurt by the church. You just sold you such a delicate flower. Nobody can say anything to you that it just crushes you. you didn't be, you've been excoriated by bill collectors. You've been, you've, been, you've been jammed up by your bosses. You've been lied to by family friends, but you get in the church and you're just made of, yeah, I mean, the most delicate thing. Somebody say something to you and you just fall apart. I'm never going to church again. What is wrong with that? I'm going to get off of that. I know you don't want to hear that no more. I'm talking about barriers to reclamation, bad teaching, offenses. Here's the third thing, the problem of Demas. And it says, well, who is Demas? Well, he's a character in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy rather, 4.9, 2 Timothy 4.9, who was a companion of Paul who worked hard in Paul's ministry. He was known uh, as being part of the Paul ministry team, uh, he was, uh, uh, people asked about him. As a matter of fact, in 2 Timothy 4 9, somebody asked Paul, Where, Where's your boy Demas? And he said, Demas has deserted us because he loves this present world. Y'all didn't hear what I said. Y'all getting, getting quiet on Demas. It's folk who leave the church because they love the world. The things of the world give them greater pleasure. The things of the world give them greater joy. The agendas of the world seem much more significant to them than the things of church. See, we have to understand, when we, what I, the gospel that I preach and the word that I share with you, most of it is intangible. See, see it, is the, it is the carnal mind, it is the limited mind that measures the success of life only by things that you can touch, feel, and see. See, there are a lot of things that I can't touch, but I know they're real. I know that they're real. And so 
I'm saying the Demas problem is that we got people who have deserted us because they love the world. And loving the world, listen to me, beloved, loving the world don't mean going into the club. It doesn't mean moving to the crack house. It doesn't mean any of that because Satan is not concerned about putting you in reverse. He wants to put you in park. He wants you so caught up in everything, the cares of life, I got to work. If I had a dime for every, we, we ought to have full employment in the black community because if I had a dime for every person who's telling me I got to work, you don't understand, I got to work. Well, we know you got to have a roof over your head. We know you got to have food in the refrigerator. We know that if you have children, you have to provide for them. But if I know that, doesn't God know your needs? I'm losing my crowd, okay? He said, he said, he said very clearly, I will supply, I will meet all of your needs according to my riches and glory. But we don't believe that. So we depend on the companies that, 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 that we work for, that, you know, we depend on the, on the economy of the nation that we live in. I want to let you know, if you make the world your source, you're going to be disappointed. Because the day you cannot provide what the world needs, the world is through with you. The day you're not productive in the world system, the world is through with you. But God is going to stick with you when you get sick and when you get old and when you're not as productive as you could have been. Even when you're trifling, your eyes wake up in the morning and they can see and your ears can hear and your legs can move. Great is thy faithfulness. I would rather trust God than trust any Fortune 500 company because they're concerned about the bottom line. You just a name on a sheet. No, no, no. My people love me. They love me at my job, okay? Okay, okay. Let, let it become better for the bottom line for them to get rid of you. You're gone, but with God, the bottom line is you. No, no, no. I, somebody ought to get ready to shout right now. No, you're the bottom line when it comes to God. You're the apple of his eye. You're wonderfully and fearfully made. Preach, Pastor Williams. Bad teaching, offenses, the Demas problem. And then the fourth thing that are barriers to reclamation, some people have been taught bad, folk have been offended, and hurt by people. Some people just prefer the things of the world as opposed to the things of God. They got into the things of God. It didn't satisfy them the way the world satisfied them. So like Demas, he left us because he loves this present world. But then the fourth thing is pridefulness. It's hard to reclaim people that know they're wrong, that know they're out of their place, but they're too full of pride to admit it. Too full of pride, too full of pride. They know they messed up. They know they're out from under their covering. You know some of them, some of them are friends of yours. They used to be part of the ministry. The first thing they wanna ask is, how's the church doing, huh? How's Pastor Williams doing? How's he doing? How's Sister Donna doing? They start naming the few folk they can remember. How's Sherry doing? How's Glenda doing? How's Glenda? Why are you so concerned? Because you were scared. You need to come on back. No, that ship didn't sailed already. I got you. 
And the reason it has, because of pride. Because to repent, you have to get rid of your pride. You have to get rid of your pride to repent. No, because repent does not mean to apologize. You can apologize and still keep your pride. To when you repent, you turn. I'm, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. I'm going to talk a little bit more. I got to get out of here. I, I, know, I know it's summertime. It's summertime preaching. No, nobody want to hear no. Don't want to hear no whole lot of preaching in the, you know. But Sly said you can have hot fun in the summertime. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Y'all not trying to have that. Okay. Bad teaching, offenses. Some of y'all are writing this down. Bad teaching, and I'm often accused of not giving all the points. I forget one. People come up to me and say, what was point five? I don't remember. Bad teaching, <laughs> number one. Some people have not been taught well. Secondly, people get offended. The Bible says offenses will come. Please go and get my message on how to handle offenses. That will help you. If you're being offended, that's why the Lord gave it to me, to help you. Because the Bible says offenses will come. I can't count the number of times I've been offended by people. And I'm sure I, I don't know the number of times that I have offended people. That's why Jesus said in the model prayer that when we pray, ask you to forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Am I right? The Demas problem, some people just love the world. Come on, let's just be honest, they love the world. That loving the world is not hanging out in a club or all of a sudden you get caught up in self-destructive behavior, it's just staying home on Sunday. Because the world says this is your day to rest. The, the, the world has flipped God's word. God's word says that the Sabbath, Saturday, is your day to rest, to chill. After a hard week, Saturday is your day to pray and play. God says keep it holy. That word holy, hagios in Greek, keep it essentially different. You're not supposed to do the same stuff on Saturday you did on Friday and Thursday and Wednesday. But you do the same stuff. Some folk got to work. Some people got to wash their car. Some people got to catch up with the stuff that they couldn't manage during the week. But that's your day. But they, the world has decided that Sunday's your day. So when you buy into that, you love the world. Oh, I'm, I, it's, I, I, thought, I thought this was going to go better with the saved folk. All right. Pridefulness and then pridefulness. Got a lot of people that are prideful. Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before fall. I've had a lot of things. My enemies have said a lot of things about me over the years, and some of them have been true, and I've been called a lot of things. But one thing I'm not is prideful because I will humble myself in the beginning in a minute. Humbling myself don't mean nothing. See, pride is when you walk around, I don't want nobody to give me nothing, open up the door, I get it myself. That's Jane Brown. That ain't my thing. My thing, if you can open that door, please do. There's not one of you all in here that I am so prideful. If I thought you had something that could help me, I'm going to ask you for it. Because all you can do is say yes or no. I'm not asking them for nothing. I never let them know that I need anything. You crazy. I need everything. Whatever y'all got, please bring it on. Because I don't have a prideful nature. You know why? Because pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before fall. Well, well, you know, I, I said that these parables were about, you know, the saved lost, those people within our own family, within our own walls, within our own gates, 
whatever metaphor you want to use, that are lost. But what's the point of connection between all three of these stories? A shepherd that had a hundred sheep that lost one, not through his own efforts. I said not through his own efforts. No, 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 he wasn't incompetent, he didn't bungle the job. A woman who lost a coin, when you lose stuff, you don't know how it happens. That's why you look everywhere, because you can't always retract where you were or what you did. And then a boy who willfully made the bad choice. Let me tell you what all three of these things are about. Here are the points of connection, and I'm going to get out your way. The first thing is all about relationships. Everything here is about relationships. I want you to follow the track of the story, if you will. It's about relationships. The sheep belonged to the shepherd. See, that's why I know that these messages are not about folk on the outside. It's about folk on the inside. That the sheep belonged to the shepherd. The coin belonged to the woman. And the boy was the father's son. All of these things about relationships, see, in each one of these stories, these parables that, that Jesus tells, there's some character that represents God. Because the parables answer this question. This is the question that the parables answer. If you want to know what question has been raised that the parables has an answer to, this is it. What is God like? And, and to answer that question, Jesus tells the story. He said, God is like a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. And when he discovered he only had 99, he left the flock and went searching until he found it. God is like a woman that had 10 silver coins and she lost one of them and she searched everywhere in the house until she found it. God is like a father who disagreed with the boy but gave him what he asked for and then waited for him patiently and prayed that there would be a turnaround in his life. That's what God is like. Look, 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 look at what happened. Look, look at what happened, each one of these. Each one of, each one of these things represents a person who needs to be reclaimed. The first one is the sheep. Now, I, I want to go back to this because I don't want to lose my point. The shepherd didn't do anything wrong. His job is to lead the flock. But in his count, that means he pays attention to who he got. No, no, Jesus said even the numbers of hairs on your head are known. God, God pays attention to us. Each one of us individually, he knows us. He knows that it's been said, and you have to tell me whether it's true or not, that even in the midst of crying children, a mother can pick out her baby's cry. That when we pray, all of us praying at the same, same time, God hears and knows that that's Reggie, not Michael. That's Regina, not LaDonna. They have different needs. He discovered that his flock was short. No, I didn't say short. I, I'm, I'm going ebonically right now. It was short. And, and, and what did he do? What did he do? He, he went out searching. Now, the sheep wandered. The sheep lost focus. Because sheep, 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 there's a reason the Bible calls us sheep, because we have problems. Y'all have heard me teach this a bunch of times, but it's true. That, that the nature of sheep is what the Bible uses to describe us. Uh, on a scale of animal intelligence, sheep are somewhat imbecilic. 
moronic. They're not really bright. Uh, they're dumb. Uh, yeah, they're dumb. They, uh, uh, you've never seen trained sheep in the circus. You know, they can make tigers and lions. Elephants do stuff. They can jump through flaming hoops and stuff. You don't see sheep doing that. You turn to the sheep and they just going, bah. Oh, no, no, no. You've never seen a TV show about a sheep? There was Arnold the pig. And then there was the Einstein of animals, which is Lassie. I mean, he's literally the Einstein of animals. I mean, he comes up there, rah, 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 rah. Timmy's in a well. Rah, 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 rah. You know, you need 30 feet of rope. He's just a genius. You know, I mean, but sheep are not bright. They're not only bright, they can't fight. They're not predators, they're prey. What does that mean? That means that there's stuff that eat them, but they don't eat anything. They're herbivores, not carnivores. They don't eat meat, but there are meat-eating animals that eat them. They can't fight. They don't have no fangs. They don't have no, they don't have no poison sacks. They can't, not only can't fight, they can't run. If a lion decides he wants gazelle for lunch, he better have his Wheaties. Because that gazelle can run 60 miles an hour. Eventually, the average lion will say, you just go on. You got it, man. I won't be having no gazelle today. Because just too fast. But sheep can't run. They're big, fat balls of fur, of wool. And then they have the nerve to have phobias. They're, no, they have, they have a fear of running water. You cannot lead a sheep. They won't drink from it. They won't cross it. They won't do it. That's why David said he leads me beside the still waters. That's, that's what he meant by that. Got to go by the still waters. They, 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 they're greedy. They don't just eat the grass on the top. They eat all the way to the roots. And left to themselves, they will go into places. They won't eat. Horses will eat hay. Hay is dried up, desiccated grass. That's what hay is. They will only eat living plants. That's why David said he have to lead me to the green pastures. Because other than that, they don't know how to get there. And then they find themselves surrounded by stuff that they won't eat. They all messed up. And then they have the audacity to be nosy. The, the, the wolf will get down there in the bramble bush and make some noise. And they want to go over there and see what it is. Ugh. They lose focus. They wander from the flock. And the wolf is out there waiting for them. They, the, they have the worst sense of smell. It's like they have permanent allergies. They can't smell anything. So the wolf will kill a lamb or kill a sheep, roll around in its blood, get the fur on it, and walk right into the middle of the flock. That's called a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's where it comes from. Just walk right on in there. And that's what the Bible says you are. Now, wait a minute, hold it. I got to give the flip side. They're loving, they're docile. You pastor in a church and somebody bites you, that ain't a sheep. Because sheep don't bite. So anything bites you, you got to deal with it. That's why, you know, I've never been one in the churches that I pastored to allow people to just rise up against me and I don't do nothing. But that's the sheep. That ain't no sheep because sheep don't bite. A sheep has no problem giving up its wool. That's why I tell preachers all the time, don't skin the sheep, shear the sheep. If you skin them, they're dead, you only get it one time. 
if you share them, they give it every season. See, one thing about sheep, they don't complain about giving. When you sit up and complain about giving, we know you're out of sheep. Because when a sheep is being sheared, they're silent. Oh, that's what the Bible says. They're just silent because they're taking the wool because you know why they're not worried? Because they know it's going to grow back again. They can be trusted. You, you take our children to a petting zoo, they ain't got little tigers and little lions, and little rattlesnakes. Come on, for the children, go on and pick up the little tiger. And, 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 no, uh-uh, because that tiger may remember. You're dealing with a wild animal. I think it was out in Las Vegas, uh, Siegfried and Roy, that, that, that one of those animals snapped. They said, I don't understand they haven't trained. You never have a wild animal trained. Because every now and then they'll remember. I'm a tiger. I'm about to chew somebody. I'm a lion. I'm about to bite somebody. But they give little lambs for them to hold. Mary had a little rattlesnake. That's not what it said. Mary had a little. Okay. But the sheep wandered. The sheep wandered. It lost focus. And it found itself in a place where it was vulnerable. Could not eat, let me tell you, could not eat the desiccated grass around it. And being out there alone, they were available to be lamb chops. And the shepherd, knowing the vulnerability of that sheep and that inability to fend for itself, left the flock and went out searching. That coin, that coin. We got people, and let me just say this about sheep. We got people who've lost their focus. They've lost it, and sometimes for reasons beyond their control. That everybody who's fallen away hasn't fallen away because they don't love the Lord or they don't love this ministry. We've been in the process of reclamation. We called some people, and they haven't been here in a year. And they said, yeah, that's my church. Uh, uh, well, why come you're not here? I've just been going through some stuff. You know, that the, the cares of life are more devastating than we want to admit. That, that you're fortunate if you're able to handle your stuff and at least keep your head somewhat above water. It's some folk that are swallowing water every day. It's some folk that have drowned. That sheep lost its focus and it began to wander. That coin, that coin, that woman didn't intend to lose that coin. None of us ever intend to lose the things that we lose. But it fell through the cracks. Do you know that there are people who come to our churches, even churches uh, like ours that are not mega churches with thousands of people, but they still fall through the cracks? We got people come to our church, fall through the cracks, because you know what? They don't make a friend. They don't make a connection. They don't get involved in anything. Nobody, we're great. We're, I'll tell you this church is, this church, if you are a guest and a visitor, they will give you the full court press in this church, man. You come to this church, if you don't want to be touched, it's the wrong place. They didn't hug you like 15 times. They didn't tell you how glad they are to see you. But once you join, we ain't got no whole lot of time to spend with you now. You have to make it on your own. I'm telling you, that's how you lose a coin. And starting with this house, we need to sweep the house and find out anybody and everybody who's not connected. We got people who come every Sunday who are not connected. Eventually, they will fall away. And then we had a son who made a conscious choice. 
bad choice, rebellion, arrogance. People, people fall into the category of the saved lost, some of them because their focus wanders and they find themselves before they turn around, they're lost. See, here's the problem with being lost. Can I help somebody? Being lost doesn't mean that you don't know your destination. You just don't know how to get there. When you get, every time I've been lost, let me talk about me. Every time I've been lost, I knew where I was trying to go. I just didn't know how to get there. The people who are lost, who've lost their focus, they want the same thing you want. You found the path and do your best to stay on it. But some of those people didn't even get on the path. That the, the second group of people who have fallen through the cracks, that's because nobody connected them. Nobody took great care with them. But then this third group is the one that, you know, we focus so much on the return that we need to focus on what created the lostness. This, this boy was not a sheep. He was not a coin. He was a human being who made a conscious choice. The Bible says he came to his father and demanded. Who was he to demand anything? N number one, just to help you understand the context of this, Tommy, the father had no obligation to leave or give him anything. Everything according to the law went to the first son. The, the second son got nothing except for the generosity and grace of the father. He had set some things aside for him, knowing that he was not the first son and would not receive everything. This boy obviously knew that. And he took advantage of his father. He took his father's grace for granted. And he went to him in an arrogant and rebellious way and demanded that his father give him his portion. And I'm trying to tell y'all something that you may need to know. God has an absolute will, but he also has a permissive will. Why would the Lord let me do that? Because that's what you wanted. And sometimes God allows us to have what we want. And then when we look back, I said, oh my God. Lord, I want to be in your perfect will. I want to be in your absolute will. That boy made a conscious choice out of a bad decision and he went away into a far country. And if I can go King James just for one minute because I'm getting out of here, wasted himself in riotous living. Now, can I, can I tell you something, Tony? The first two, the one that Otis preached on about the, the lost sheep and the one you preached on about the lost coin, those first two required effort to find them. No, no, no. The shepherd had to leave and go search. No, no, no. And, and when he searched, he found him. Threw the sheep on his shoulders and brought him home. Am I right? The second one, the woman swept out her whole house until she found that coin. That was your message. I listened to it. It took take effort. But I'm telling you point blank, the third one, the one who makes a decision out of rebellion, ain't nothing you can do about that. Because, no, 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 I'll tell you what you can do. There's nothing you can do in terms of physical effort because the father did not go to find the boy. 
He didn't send out a search party. He didn't hire a private investigator. I tell you what he did do, because I know the character of the father, he prayed and he trusted God that there would be a turnaround. Because it's not like today where we can Skype somebody or text somebody. He went into a far country. There were days where he did not know whether the boy was dead or alive. But I got to believe, knowing the character of this father, in the story that he prayed every day. Lord, help my son. Lord, turn my son around. And after he had lost his money, he lost his friends. Because Dr. Womack says, nobody wants you when you're down and out. Been down so low that getting up never crossed my mind. Lost my money. He said, if I ever get a dollar grin again, I'm going to hold it to that eagle grin. Because nobody wants you when you're down and out. They were through with him. And the only job that the boy could have was slopping hogs. What an indignity for a Jew to even be around swine. But he wasn't that low. He went lower than that. Because not only did he want to eat the pig, he was willing to eat the slop that he served the pigs. But then, in one of the most powerful phrases in the entire Bible, he came to himself. He had an epiphany. He had, he had a metamorphosis. And he came to himself. He said, why am I living like this? I will arise and go to my father's house. You know why? Because my father has servants that live better than this. But he made up his mind because, listen to me, the same conscious decision that he made to leave and the conscious decision that he made to return, he knew he had to do some things to get back. Y'all not hearing me. I told you before, you got to lose your pride if you're going to repent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got some folk who stepped away from their covering, stepped away from this ministry, left out of rebellious and arrogant reasons. They know they're wrong. The Holy Spirit has convicted them. They told them, but they will not return because of their pride. But that boy was through with pride. He said, because I can't get no lower than willing to eat hog slop. And he said, I made up my mind. Here's my message. He said, I'm going to tell my daddy. He said, when I get to him, I'm going to tell him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm not worthy to be your son. Let me just go live with your servants. Put me in the bunkhouse. But look at what the father said. You weren't born for the bunkhouse. You were born for the big house. We got to search for people who've lost their focus. We got to sweep the house to make sure that nobody falls through the cracks. But those other people, we just got to pray and ask the Lord that they will come to themselves. Now, now when they come home, if they come home, we got to have the right attitude because he had another son. And when his father saw him, I know y'all know the story, but I'm going to like to tell it anyway. He said, when he saw his son and he began to weep and saw him, and he said, Father, he started his speech, and he said, oh, lady, he said, I hear you. He said, stop. He said, somebody go get a robe and put it on. Somebody put sandals on his feet. Before they put sandals on his feet, they had to wash his feet. That means the servants got down and washed his feet, put sandals. He said, put a ring on his finger. 
He said, and that fatted calf out there, it's time for a barbecue. Don't you know that there's a connection here in every one of these situations? The end result is a party. That the shepherd grabs the sheep, brings him home, calls his neighbors and friends and said, come rejoice with me. My sheep was lost, but now it's found. It reminds me of that song, through many dangers, toils and snares, I've already come. T'was grace that brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me on. I'm telling you right now, when that woman found that coin, the Bible says she called her neighbors and said, come with me. I lost my coin, but I found it. Let's rejoice. When that boy came home, the father said, let's party. This is why they could do that. And this is why we don't. Because God values the one. We only value the many. If, if 25 people join the church today, every Negro on Facebook Live got his camera out there. This is my church, the Genesis Church. I want you to see the great harvest that the Lord is giving us today. Our pastor, Dr. Michael P. Williams, is, he preached a powerful word today. And heaven blessed us with all it. But if one come up, your camera ain't been turned on, your phone ain't moved. Oh, y'all getting quiet. I feel, I smell conviction. If, if 25 come, you falling out, look at God moving. But when one comes, it don't look like God is moving because we're committed to the many where God is committed to the one. See, we overvalue the many and we miss the power of the one because the Bible says, as I take my seat, that heaven rejoices. Not, see, look at y'all. Y'all can't rejoice right now. Heaven rejoices not over the many, but over one. Was one sheep seemed like that man would have been satisfied with 99 it was only am I, is my arithmetic correct it was only 1% that he lost but no he went out and found that one sheep that woman had 10 coins seemed like if she had 9 she would have been alright if she couldn't find the one but she wasn't satisfied until she got the one that man had two sons the older son, he had invested everything in it. No, he, he did. He, he did. If you haven't read the text. He invested everything because when the boy complained about the big to-do they were making over his brother, he asked his father, didn't you remember how ugly he was with you when he left? How rebellious he acted? How arrogant he was? And you gave him all that money and he went out there and blew it on hoes and, and, and liquor and reefer and everything and now he ain't gotten and he gonna come crawling home and you gonna have a barbecue for, for him and I'm here working like a dog oh y'all won't get with me now I'm here every Sunday I'm here on Wednesday night this Negro cursed you they, they, they hit at you and here they come back and we rejoice and I'm not rejoicing said, you ain't never had no appreciation for me. said, my friends come over 
You ain't even got a little lamb for us to, to cook and celebrate. And you gonna kill the fatted calf for this fool? And the father turned to him and said, son, I don't understand how you feel because everything I have belongs to you. You didn't have to ask me for a lamb. They all yours. All you had to do was go get one. You didn't have to ask me for a party. You can party anytime you want to. But look at here. Your brother was lost, but now he's found. Was blind. Now, I don't want y'all to think I'm so holy because there's some people who have left this ministry who left in conflict and contention, who left in arrogance and rebellion, who I have been a blessing to, who left here cursing my name. And if they came to themselves and came back here, I got to ask God in advance, fix my face. Oh, y'all won't say amen. Some of them you'd be looking across your glasses at. Wondering about the sincerity. Why would they be coming here now? They didn't care nothing about the beginning. We cannot afford to adopt that attitude because God has proven to us that everything he has belongs to us. You ain't got to struggle to get in touch with God. You ain't got to struggle to feel the power of God. You don't have to struggle to praise and worship and give Everything that God has belongs to us. And if our brothers and sisters come out of their pride, because pride is the reason. There are people sitting up today. I hope none of you are here, but they're sitting up in churches where they have no business being because they're out of their place. What God had intended for them was not there. But out of arrogance, rebellion, offense, hurt, whatever the enemy can use, they find themselves. And if and when they return, I've only had that one time in my ministry. One of my best, best men, and some of you all have been here long enough in this church to remember Norris Littles. One of the best, one of the best men I ever had. Boy, them sanctuary servants were like the Buckingham Palace guard, Doc. If you didn't do what Norris said, he took your vest. No, he tell you in a minute. Some people out there smiling because they got their vest took. They knew him. I ain't going to call nobody name. He gone on to be with the Lord. But he'll tell them, you ain't focused. Give me your vest. You don't, you don't need. This ain't the ministry for you. And some mess happened. I don't even remember what it was. But he left the church. Boy, that thing, I said, why would he? And that was a time when we had hundreds, thousands. He left the church, left the church. And, and I, you know, I tried to talk with him. He was mad. He was upset about what it was. But maybe about a year later, he showed up at the church. And when I opened the doors of the church, he came down. And he turned to the church. He said, Pastor, can I say something? He said, I was wrong. I've been out of my place. I, was, I, I heard some stuff that I shouldn't have heard. Some people said some things to me that they shouldn't have said. And I let that get in my spirit. And I've been miserable this last year. Oh, y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. 
I've been miserable because I ain't been in my church. I haven't heard my pastor. He said, he said, but then the Lord told me to return. It took, it took, it took courage and a breaking of pride. And boy, some of y'all may have been there that Sunday. I remember the church went up. I mean, it rejoiced. Not simply because one more person came, because we had folk join that day. But, but our brother who was lost, but somewhere along the line, he had to come to himself. And he did. I pray that some of those people along this journey, I ain't named no names, I ain't told the Lord, send so-and-so back, send this person. No, no, whoever they are, that breaks pride when they come Lord let me first fix my face because I'm honest enough to know that there are some people that have offended me they've hurt me they've angered me they hurt my ministry hurt my ministry hurt my livelihood hurt my livelihood hurt my family Many of them said things about me that were patently untrue. And for me to get up and respond to that means that I'd have to tell some things that I shouldn't tell. There are things that I have to keep confidential that I know about people. If I told that about them, you'd say, oh, well, I understand that now. But then that would violate their confidence, and then you won't trust me with what you're going through. So I have to take the hit. And, I, and I, I've gotten better with it. Forgiveness, scab the scars. I know I re-preach all my stuff and I listen to it and get myself together and I hear what you're saying. But when you come face to face with that, I don't want to be the elder brother. I want to be the father that rejoices. We don't know if the older brother ever got himself together. Story doesn't tell us everything. I'm an optimist by nature. And I want to believe that he went and had him some barbecue. I got a right to believe what I want to believe since the story is open. I want to believe that when he thought about it and saw the love that his father had, he went over there and got him a rib plate. Somebody need to work with me. Got him a little brisket. Put a little beans on his plate and some potato salad. He might not have started off, but eventually he walked over to his brother and put his arms around him and said, man, I'm glad you're home. I'm glad you're home. That's the way I want to believe, just like the sheep got back in the flock and the coin got back in the woman's hands, that that family got back together. Give the Lord a hand clap. I'm done. I'm telling you, we got to reclaim the lost. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Take somebody's hand, would you? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, make us an instrument of your reclamation. Help those that have been damaged by bad teaching. Help us speak the truth to them, those who have been offended. Let us comfort them, but not allow them to wallow. Those that are dealing with pride, we pray that that pride is broken, that they come to themselves. Lord, give us the energy and the desire to search for those that have lost their focus to sweep this house until we make sure that everyone is connected and no one falls through the cracks and then finally be available with the right spirit and the right attitude when one comes to repent. We thank you now in Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap all through the house, would you? Come on, come on, everybody, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Everybody, come on, put your hands together, everybody. Hallelujah.